Welcome to the Deep Tech Show. In this podcast, your host, Edmar Ferreira, will be joined by expert guests as they dive into the world of deep tech. We are telling the stories of the heroes who are taking real risks to give us a future of flying cars, virtual reality, robots, and space exploration. Enjoy the show. Today's guest is Celine Halua, CEO and founder of Loyal, which she incorporated in 2019 at the age of 25. Loyal is a biotech startup developing drugs to increase canine health span. Welcome to the Deep Tech Show. Today I'm here with Celine from Loyal, a really amazing company that's going to have a big impact in almost everyone's lives. Welcome, Celine. That was a little bit about what you guys are doing at Loyal and particularly how the future looks like when you guys are really successful. Yeah. Hi, my name is Celine Hollywa. I'm the founder and CEO of Loyal or Cellular Longevity Inc. as we are formerly known. And we're working on developing the first drugs explicitly intended to extend dog lifespan and health span and taking what we learn via working on and hopefully successfully treating pathological canine aging to translate that into human aging too. The future that I'm working on, the future that I'm excited about is a future where, let's say, a significant portion or a majority of age-related diseases is, is treated and dealt with and managed not via reactive therapeutics once symptomatic development has occurred and once the disease begins to hurt a person's or dog's quality of life, but where we have broad course preventative aging therapeutics that broadly help people and their dogs live longer, healthier lives and hopefully delay and dampen or even prevent the development of certain age-related diseases in somebody's lifetime. So where are you today? What have you done until today? And how do you plan from going from today to this future? Right now, we are primarily focused on dogs. So we have two primary drugs in development, one that's targeting large dogs, quite short lifespan. So a Great Dane may live seven to nine years. A Chihuahua lives 16 to 18 years. We're trying to close that gap a little bit. And in a second drug that's developing, that's being developed for uh, older dogs of any size, any breed who are showing signs of unhealthy or pathological aging, as we call it. We're also been working on developing diagnostics to better quantify canine aging. So the way to think about that is can we, by looking at a saliva swab, give a risk incidence for a dog developing an age-related disease? One thing that I found really interesting about what you are doing was that was so smart to tackle this problem specific with the dogs that I was like, how did you even came up with this idea? Like that there's some companies in this like longevity space, but not a lot of them seems to have this insight about starting in dogs instead of starting in humans. I find it so smart. Like, how did it start? Like, how did you get this? Yeah. So I had been working with Laura Deming at the Longevity Fund and working with her on investing in aging companies. And I got super frustrated because every company had the same narrative of, oh, we've found this drug. It extends lifespan and health span in mice. The FDA is evil. Aging isn't a disease. La, 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 la. Therefore, we're going to develop it for this esoteric specific age-related disease instead. And it just didn't make sense to me. So I became really obsessed with, you know, how can we develop an aging drug and test its efficacy for it. And pretty quickly came to the conclusion that doing this in people would be extremely expensive, but that you could do in dogs much more quickly. I'm also a huge animal lover. I grew up with, you know, 15 cats, you know, two or three 
rescue dogs, pet squirrel, (laughs) rescued grackles, all of the things. And so it was a natural fit for me to work on building a brand around helping people's bounds with their pets. Although I will admit that I probably would not started another type of dog company. <laughs> Do you imagine expanding like to to cats and other house animals or the plan Maybe one day. to go from They're... dogs to humans? Dog to humans is our primary goal. The the biology of aging in different companion species is actually quite different. So, I mean, we, we did have some contact and so far that we you know, know how to develop drugs and all of that, but we're not specifying on it. Yeah. On the business side, like I imagine that this market is so huge. Like considering the people who I know who have dogs, they would give like an arm, maybe an arm and a leg, maybe both legs and the two arms. Unfortunately, we don't accept payment in body limbs, but (laughs) just to extend, like to give even one year, even two years or so to their dogs. I think that people would be willing to do like crazy stuff to, to make it work. But when you guys think about like market, what, what type of projections of do you even have some type of projects of that? I think it's hard considering that would be particularly a new product, right? There's nothing like that you could buy for your dog today. So I don't know how it would work. So how do you guys think about this on the business perspective? Yeah, I mean, there, there's obviously no market comp today. The closest would be hardware drugs. Give your dog regularly. That's for preventive measure for a disease the dog may or may not develop in the future to broadly increase their quality of life. So that is something that we've compared to those drugs, the leading heartworm drug, heart guard, because of 400 million a year. We're not concerned about revenue. I think there is more than enough market and more than enough loving pet parents out there yeah, to support sure. development of a canine aging drug. I think the big difference is that the in pet drugs, it's cash pay and some insurance mechanisms. We're not going to be relying on insurance mechanisms necessarily. So it's really important that we drive the cogs of our drug down so that it's broadly accessible. Yeah, I think that what's interesting about it is that I see this market being big and being big enough to fund a lot of the research you want to do from going from dogs to humans. So this is what I think it's a little bit like that post that Tesla plan, build like expensive car and then you have the money and then you build another car and then you go step by step. So I think that you guys have this kind of characteristic in this plan because the dog market alone would be probably enough to fund a lot of the research going into humans or to make you guys like a more sustainable company in a better position than the other longevity companies in the future. Yeah, exactly. That's a huge part of it, yeah. Yeah. So when you guys like raise money and, and do that, this is like part of the pitch or, or like part of the story that you guys go on with. It's like a stepping stone to other products in the future. Yeah. So I think our hopeful next product will be a human can. Uh, that's a huge aspect of what we're trying to do. We'll also likely develop more canine aging drugs as we broaden out what we're working on, but we want to stay. It's important. To, there's a balance between focus and diversifying risk. And I think we're at a pretty good balance of that right now yeah and thinking about this jump from dogs to humans uh, how how different it's like going from dogs to humans because as as far as i understand like the pipeline people usually use like rats or things like that right to do i think better better than that would be to say like how would be comparable using dogs instead of rats they are better they are worse comparing to the when translating to humans, let's say. 
Yeah. So it's, it really depends on what you're looking on. In general, dogs are a better model of human aging. They share an environment with us. They develop age-related diseases over time and develop them naturally versus many mouse and rat models or induced models of age-related disease naturally. You know, very similar forms of neurodegenerative disorder relative to what humans do. Canines get canine cognitive dysfunction. They get cancer. They get all of these things. And the hypothesis is that, you know, due to the fact that canines develop age-related diseases naturally, that reflects the, you know, the years that it takes to for one of these diseases to develop. That's why they're age-related. And then because they also share an environment with us, a complex environment with us, and are exposed to the same environmental factors, which we don't understand how these play into aging yet, but are certainly relevant to aging, um, that you learn more about and you have a better representative phenotype. So if something works in a dog, it should be clear, it's not one-to-one. There is no (laughs) one-to-one model, unfortunately, that is in a person, and even people aren't one-to-one. But it's for some diseases in some areas um, thought to be closer and more representative. And I think that's something that we're really excited about. Yeah, and regarding the path that you are taking on the biology side what exactly what are the mechanisms the biological mechanisms that that you are looking into to create this new drug or this new treatment yeah so i can't talk about that too much what i can say is we're not doing metformin we're not doing rapamycin we're not doing any kind of the classic aging drugs that you would have heard of there's maybe value in doing that but just not what we're personally interested in okay okay cool and how long have you been working on this idea, on this start? Yeah, so Loyal was incorporated October 2019. I started hiring the first team and closed our Series Seed fundraising round in January 2021. And that's really, I've been running more than full speed since then. But I've really been working on aging and figuring out the best way to work on aging for since I was 18. And how do you think that your experiences in a VC fund, and specifically in, the, in a longevity fund, before starting our loyal, like impacted like the path that you took with the companies? It gave me a couple of things. It gave me a lot of context for how people are thinking about I think bio founders often really struggle with figuring out how to get a very complex idea who don't have a training. We also it helped me learn how to zero to one, learning about different areas very quickly and just build good models of what good leadership CEO was like. And what did surprise you the most coming from like a venture background, actually being the CEO and running like the business? What surprised you the most? What was unexpected from your side when you started this? I mean, everything. I think the biggest thing is that um, I actually really love the operational challenge of building a startup in addition to the scientific challenge. The it is really fucking hard to build a startup. And this tech is hard. More than 50% of your success or lack thereof is by the, it's by the science. It's by the operations and the people you hire and how you manage them and their growth and their scaling. And all of this aspect is just, you don't learn it in a PhD. You don't learn it in most things. And I thought like, oh, it's a part of it, whatever. And it's the entirety of my job, basically. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But like, why did you, I can understand that you are really passionate about the problem itself of your longevity, but why biting the bullet and starting a company instead of just keeping doing like VC, growing in the longevity fund, maybe creating our own fund someday or going to academia and maybe teaching or doing the research? Like why starting the company? Like you had so many opportunities in front of you. Like why you decided this specific path? 
Yeah. So really for me, the whole thing is about where can I have unique impact? I don't, I wouldn't be necessarily the CEO of another company. I wouldn't necessarily, I wasn't jonesing to be a founder. I'd never thought I'd be a founder. It was really that I thought this was one of the best ways to work on bringing aging drugs out there. And I thought I'd be one of the best people to build a company working on the problem in this way. And so given those variables and given that nobody else was working on it and I didn't think anybody else, there's a couple of teams, but they don't really have angle on it that we're going for. I really thought that this made the most sense if I cared about aging that I had to work on it this way. I would have been very happy, you know, being Laura's number two forever and facilitating her in that too. If I thought that I was uniquely good at facilitating venture investing and aging, but I don't think I am. And regarding like aging itself like when did you like you said that you started at 18 like why aging how it started like how you started like looking into it like how you decided to basically build your whole career on this mission of curing aging like how, what's the origin story here yeah so i actually got into college for art school and the summer before my freshman year i decided to do an internship at a neuro oncology clinic and i met a number of patients who had terminal brain cancer. And just something about the fact that there was nothing anybody could do for them that they, that they were, you said doctors couldn't help them. And in my opinion, you know, they had a lack of free will. It didn't matter that you didn't want to die. There's nothing anybody in the world, no matter how much money or effort or time and care they put into it that they could have done for you. And something about that just like really made me feel sick. And so I switched from art school to neuroscience and I picked neuroscience because neuro was the degree in your first class. So like, we don't really understand any of this, but <laughs> here's how we think it works, which I thought was cool. <laughs> and I got interested in aging specifically because I had been working on neurodegenerative disorders, specifically Parkinson's and developing therapeutics for late stage disease. And I just remember being in lab thinking this is such a it was stem cell therapies for regenerating the portion of the brain that you lose in Parkinson's. And I remember just thinking, this is so hard. This is so such a hard problem to fix, right? And why were we waiting until the end stage when the poor patient has already lost significant neuronal mass? When if you want to replace that, you have to kind of re-synapse it all in. Obviously, we need to develop therapeutics that work at any stage of disease, but it's why are we starting here first? And I got really interested in preventative medicine. That's really the way I've thought about aging drugs since day one. You know, I'm not in it for immortality or whatever. That's not really my angle on it. I'm in it because I think it's just an effective way to treat multiple morbidities and multiple diseases that hurt quality of life at the same time, potentially at the same time. How did you end up in the VC fund? Like, what's the path from? I cold emailed. I cold emailed Laura Deming. Oh, really? <laughs> just like that. Yeah. And I just said, hey, I wanted to come work with you. And she said, I'll come out for two weeks, see what happens. And then gave me a job afterwards. Oh, that's cool. And how long did you, you stay in, in the Longevity Fund? Like a year and a half, or I think, or something like that. I don't remember now. Something like that. Okay. What advice, if you're background in the VC, and then as a founder, would you give to someone who had a really series of posts on it as well on building a biotech startup like what advice would you give to someone that would that wants to start doing like biotech right now found a company so, so advice for somebody who wants to build a biotech company yeah i think the biggest thing is understanding them understanding yourself understanding what you are uniquely good at i would never ever try to be a CEO of a small molecule discovery and optimization startup i'm just not 
I'm sure I'd be fine, but I'm not uniquely good at building that company. I'm not uniquely passionate about that area. I don't have an insight or anything that could be helpful. I think the biggest thing is figuring out where you are, you know, 99th percentile, let's say a very niche area, but it doesn't matter because you only are going to work on one company at a time. So figure that out and work there. I think the second is just figure out a way to have a constant growth mindset. You will constantly suck and then you'll have to get better and then you'll be terrible again and then you'll be better for a little bit and it'll be terrible again and everything's your fault and everything you could have done better. And like it's just, it's a really brutal path and it's pretty lonely path if I'm being honest. And you just got to be okay with that and you got to prepare for that and you got to not expect it looks sexy. It's it's not. Yeah, there's a thing about biotech that I'm really curious about to see. I see many people from my background, like software background, that want to go in and try their hands on biotech. But what most people don't understand is how hard it is, how much harder it is to actually do a biotech startup compared to a software startup, let's say. Because all the variables involved, all the science involved, it's just hard, right? It's just so many things can go wrong. It's a lot of toil in, in doing that. Like it looks interesting and sexy, but the day-to-day of it is, is brutal compared to a traditional software startup is already hard enough. It's a lot of, it's, it's brutal to do that. Being a CEO of a biotech is even harder because it's not only the market, like you're fighting the market and like nature itself at the same time. So it's two fronts maybe. So it's hard, but I imagine that it's worthwhile, right? You will not do anything else, I imagine, instead of doing this path. Even oh, there's nothing hard. else I want to do. Yeah, it's, it's the, it's, I haven't done that many other things, but it's by far the hardest thing I've <laughs> ever done. Emotionally, physically, everything. It's absolutely terrible, but I wouldn't do anything else. And as, as a CEO yourself, if there is like any practice or anything that you do yourself to keep yourself sane while doing it, just do anything. Um, I guess working out, getting sun. And I think also just like the baseline is more of a forgiveness for I'm not going to operate optimally in every aspect of my life. And I'm okay with that. I think people get really into this. It's really hard because the lens you need to have on yourself as a CEO can lead into the lens you need to have, the lens that you might want to not have on yourself as a uh, individual personally and just being, being okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. And Regarding like raising, what was the biggest difficulty you guys had like raising raising money for, for a company like that? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is just the narrative. Honestly, it, very few people have context for what we're building. Very few people have background in translational aging or even biotech and definitely not dog and dog drugs. So you have to educate people on a lot of things at the same time. And then have them feel comfortable making that leap in it. And it's just a really hard problem to execute excellently on it. The biggest challenge for me was figuring out a version of the narrative that obviously was honest and told the story that is what we're doing at Loyal, but also was accessible to a broader population. And tell me what people tend to get wrong, let's say, after all this time and you have talking with like potential employees, investors, a lot of people, like what people tend to get like systematically wrong or what's the most common like misconception that people have about what you are doing? I think people just don't know how to think about risk in technical companies, right? Because I have a really good model of where we're taking risk, where we're not taking risk, how to think about it, how to hedge it, what makes sense, what doesn't make sense. 
I think it's very difficult to do this. And even me thinking about drugs that are not in the areas that I work in would be difficult to accurately think about risk. And I think it's very hard for investors who look at industries all the time, all the day of different, very different industries and very different products to think about risk and hedging risk correctly. Yeah. And when you are looking at for people to work with you at Loyal, like what do you look for in people as a of a deep tech company? Yeah. What what they're looking for? Mission motivation is a big one. That's been a predictor again and again. And every time I hire people who aren't mission motivated, it doesn't work. So really they need to care deeply about what we're doing. It doesn't have to be explicitly it doesn't have to be explicitly the motion motivation I have, but it should be aligned and not just I want to work on business or whatever. So that's one. I look for people who have a high trajectory relative to where they started, which is a really important aspect, normalizing to that. How would have they achieved? And I look for people who are very reflective and have growth mindsets. I think. Sorry to interrupt. Did you say looking for the trajectory and correcting by where they started? This is interesting. I have never heard it before, but it makes a lot of sense. Really interesting. Yeah, exactly. Because if somebody grew up to like, you know, double legacy Harvard, you know, their dad's <laughs> CEO or whatever, my fiction's a little bit higher than if you were first generation, you just came in, you really hit the climb and build and kind of fight for everything you had and worked a job all in college and all of that. And I think that if you can get good at seeing who, who got the opportunity and then jumped in fast, you can learn a lot about somebody and their grit. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I'm going to steal this from you. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. I always thought about this because this is, it's hard sometimes to untangle because sometimes you look at someone and you think that they didn't accomplish a, a lot. But when you look at like where they started and where they are, like Jesus, they accomplished a lot by just being where they are right now. Or on the other side, you can see some people that you, you think that they accomplished a lot, but in the end, they actually didn't accomplish that much was just like because they are in the right place or their dad have met someone on a golf course or whatever and then they have an internship in the right place at the right time but i think normalizing having the sensibility of normalizing for that is really smart because otherwise you can be losing a lot of really uh, great people great candidates talented people that could be doing a lot of great work so do, do you think that because your company it's so ambitious and have a pretty ambitious mission it's help it helps you to recruit it's help you like to hire people because of oh that. totally people want to work on things that matter it's way easier to hire when things matter um, yeah, it's imagine. still hard obviously but yeah, yeah. and it also helps that you know we are in a, an exciting company working led by a woman which is pretty rare that's founder led anything that makes you different is a disadvantage but also an advantage yeah for sure yeah and going back to aging a little bit, like seeing like the future of, of aging. And I think that a lot of people discuss that in the sense of the impacts that this could be, this could have. One particular thing that I have in mind when I think about it is people accumulating power as time goes by because they live more. Let's say there's some fields like tech or that maybe like we see a lot of like young people, like young CEOs and people being successful really early in their lives. But it's because like tech is so dynamic, but there's other areas where you see people like accumulating more and more power, let's say in politics, let's say the last 
U.S. election was like a guy that was like, I think, 78 against one that was like 74. In Brazil, where I am, am from, we see a lot of like really, we have a guy who was a president once and he's in Senate, I think now, and he's 90 or something. He's still a lot of, he's an influential person still. So how do you think about that, about aging and power, if you, of course, have ever thought about it? Yeah, maybe this is not where you want to go with this, but I really don't think it's an issue. I think it's, you don't hear anybody saying we shouldn't cure Parkinson's or Alzheimer's or cancer because what if we save people who then will have more power? It's so hurt before the horse. So the first, the drugs that we're developing for aging and health span right now are not going to fundamentally change the fabric of society. They're going to actually just help society be more functional. And I think actually paradoxically will help people on the lower rungs at a socioeconomic ladder because it's, you know, it's not people who are super rich who are born into political families that are burdened by having family members or themselves who develop a disease. It's people who don't have family money, who have to take care of their ailing parent because they can't afford to put them in a, the hospital or a home or have a stay-at-home nurse or anything like that. And that's really the person I'm trying to help by increasing the eventual goal of increasing freedom from age-related pathologies. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I've seen a while ago, like this paper from, they were like studying people who studied in like top like US schools, like the Ivy Leagues ones, and they're like net worth after a while and seeing people from poor backgrounds and seeing the impacts in the long term, they have a penalty in their like measurable penalty in the net worth in the long run. Because if you're the only one that actually had some money in your family, as time goes by, you need to help all the others. So it's not only that like having coming from a family of money would lend you a help. It's just the fact that coming from a one that doesn't have money would actually somehow penalize you because you need to you're not going to abandon your family, right? You need to, you probably, if you're the one that did well in, in the economic sense, you're going to help everybody. So I can see that being like a net positive. Yeah, I can see as well as how this is putting uh, like a little bit like the overpopulation in Mars problem. We still don't even have the drug yet. And it's not like a thing that, that would be that impactful so soon. And when you think about deep tech startups in let's say in general, you work a little bit on the VC field, like besides longevity, there's any other field that you think it's interesting or it's hot right now, or like supposedly that you are not working on longevity. What other problems do you find? Oh gosh, I have to admit, I'm pretty narrow-minded in this stuff, (laughs) mostly because there's so much to keep track of and so many infinite things. I think I'm really interested in aviation, ironically, because I'm actually terrified of flying. But I find aviation improvements, aviation industry, aviation safety, all of that quite interesting. I'm friends with a lot of people who are building in space. One of my really good friends is working on next generation space manufacturing, which has been very cool to watch. But yeah, I really personally, I I spend a lot of time thinking about dog longevity. And even inside biotech there's any other thing that you find interesting right now like inside this oh sure yeah i'm really interested in reproductive aging similar to how i think having a drug approved for a canine lifespan extension would really change how people think about aging as 
something that's drinkable. It's something that's modifiable biologically and pharmaceutically. Equally, if we could delay menopause with is aging drugs, I think that would be a huge sure. framework shift for the general populace. Yeah, this could be have a huge impact. Yeah, there's any work, anyone working on that, like shifting like the time frame of menopause or something like that. Like this yeah, could be I think huge. It's a pretty hot area now. Yeah, this could be uh, huge. Most yeah. recently, Cambrian James Pyre's startup announced working on it. Yeah, this would be interesting. Like, like this would be a huge societal impact. Huge, huge. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And okay, we are coming to the end. I have some like end questions that I would like to to ask you. So first would be: Do you have any book recommendations for us? I'm gonna be honest. I am not one of those founders that spends all day reading. I appreciate <laughs> those that do. <laughs> it's not me right now. Maybe when I have a bit more regular sleep. Yeah, yeah. Sleep first, reading later. <laughs> it's important. And second, if you could send a message to everybody on earth, what it would be? I think it would be try to think about how you can maximize positive impact and i think there's lots of ways to do it right it can be micro good you know being a fantastic mother or father to facilitate the nurturing of more great people is you know very valuable as is building new pharmaceuticals it doesn't have to be aligned with traditional career trajectories so to speak but i, I think that's something that i care about a lot is like how can you as existing on this planet be a net positive for other people okay thank you so much celine i hope that in the future we'll do another episode update on what you are doing with loyal, pretty exciting things. So I'm really happy that yeah, you had the time. Yeah, it's been to, super fun. Yeah, I was happy to, that you have the time to talk to us. So really enjoy your mission. I hope that you guys are widely successful. A lot of people will be Me happy too. if you are. As do the dogs. <laughs> As do the dogs, yeah. <laughs> it was awesome to meet you. Good luck with all your stuff. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Deep Tech Show. If you enjoyed today's episode, Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on upcoming episodes. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Deep Tech Daily to keep updated on what's next.